Hi there, Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment here. Welcome to the latest episode of the Farm Equipment Podcast Series, Our Dealer Story. In this episode, I sat down with Larry Rader, owner of Hiawatha Implement, a two-store John Deere dealership in Kansas, and a 2019 Farm Equipment Dealership of the Year. There'd been a John Deere dealership in Hiawatha, Kansas since the 1920s, starting with Dannenberg Implement. Through a number of acquisitions over the years, the business became Hiawatha Implement, and in August 1981, Larry and his uncle Alf Rader purchased the business. Before we head over to Larry, I wanted to thank our sponsor, HBS Systems, a multi-generational company that for over 30 years has provided leading-edge systems and software technology designed specifically for ag and construction equipment dealers. Thanks for making this podcast series possible. Okay, let's get things going. This is the Our Dealer Story of Hiawatha Implement. To start off, the dealership itself has been around longer than when you got involved in the 80s. I was wondering if you could kind of run through just a little bit about that earlier history before you got involved, you know, to to what you know about it from when it first got, the initial dealership got started in the 20s. There was a number of families had the dealership. I think it changed hands several times. And in approximately 71, two gentlemen started Hawatha Implement Company, which, which purchased it. Okay. And uh, then they they sold the business oh, in '77, and uh, this man's wife wanted him to be uh, grand potentate of the state of Kansas, and he had to have a business to run it. So he really shouldn't have been a businessman, but he <laughs> he got the business, and then John Deere wasn't happy with him. And in spring of 81, they tried to persuade him to sell. So when we, when we bought the business from, from him, August 10th of uh, 81. And then who is, I think on your website, it says, you know, you and Alf brought, bought the dealership. Who is Alf in relation to you? Okay. So he was my uncle. Okay. And he was, he was uh, a silent partner. And then I know you didn't necessarily have any sort of dealership background, correct, before coming into That's it? That's correct. So uh, what kind of just, brought you in? I was just graduating in? from college. I got I was getting my master's in economics at K-State. Okay. And what attracted you to, to, to buying the dealership and kind of getting involved not having that background? <laughs> well, <laughs> well you, you would have been quite young in 81, but... There, there were no very few job openings in agriculture, mm-hmm. and in order to kind of save face from going to college and not getting a job, I had to buy my job. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically what it amounted to. Okay, um, and then that was sort of a tough time to be getting involved in in agriculture and, and dealerships. At that well, time, uh, in, interest rates were up to like eighteen percent. Wow. And uh, you, you really can't afford to pay interest on machinery and things and make it go. Uh, it, it was the eighties were very tough. Yeah. So what um, you know, what kind of position was the dealership in when you guys bought it in eighty one? Um, and then what was kind of that those early years uh, like for you? It, it, the, the corporation had been making a very small profit. Okay. Prior, prior to us buying it, and and uh, we just barely broke even making money uh, when we started 
in 86, we had to repossess some machinery and we lost money. Okay. That was the only only year that we lost money in the 80s. But about 66% of the dealers, John Deere dealerships within 150 miles of us closed up during the 80s and early 90s. Wow. So what did you guys, you know, how did you stay focused on trying to be successful and, and getting through all that? Uh, <laughs> As a uh, pretty young guy. Wa- it was just watching controlling cost and we, when other dealerships closed, we were able to pick up their slack from the business that they lost. Okay. So we we, we grew a little bit during the during the eighties. Okay. So you were able to benefit from those other dealerships yeah. in the area closing down. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. And then how has um, you know what I guess kind of what did you did you learn from that kind of pretty trying beginning period that you've been able to put in place? Through the rest of your history, probably the the two biggest assets that we bought when we bought the business was the John Deere product and good employees. They were very good employees at the time, okay. and we we've been able to maintain the employees. And having good employees is like having the winning football team. The new employees, the best employees, want to come work for you. It's, it's easier to get. To get the better employees, and that's probably as as much success as anything. Okay. And then you guys added a second location in '98. Um, what kind of led to that that expansion? Well, it, it, it's it's kind of funny. The Mound City store, the the man that ran it was about the same age as I was, and he probably wasn't a very good John Deere dealer. But the head man at John Deere in Kansas City liked to go duck hunting. So he, he took him duck hunting all the time, catered to him. And when the man in Kansas City got promoted in 96, uh, John Deere came up and, and his market share wasn't up to par. And they asked him to, to sell out. Okay. So that was, uh, you you acquired that store, not just yes. the new, y- yes. opened a new and store then, on your own. Uh, John Deere did close him down, and we, and we started a new store. Um, I tried to buy the old store, okay, and uh, he wanted about three times more money for it than what we offered him. And the store is still available for sale after twenty four years. <laughs> wow. Okay. So it's been sitting vacant. So. <laughs> So the, the building probably, is still there. There's not. There's no dealership there. It's just a an empty the, building. The, the, right. The, it's, it sets it sets across the street from where we built our new store. Oh wow! And uh, we we built a new store, and it was very. At the time, I had very conservative ideas because of all the memories of uh, business in the '80s, <laughs> and uh, we added on to the store and. 2014, uh, we increased the size about 75%. Yeah, you guys over in the last 10 years, maybe about now, have built some pretty impressive facilities. Um, What kind of, what was sort of, you know, kind of the driver for for those improvements? 
originally, I was very conservative uh, by ideas on what a facility should be like. I, I thought if you had something too nice, then then the customers would think you were making too much money. Yeah. And uh, time, as times got better, I've, I I kind of changed a little bit on that. And probably one of the bigger things, the objective was, is to give the employees more pride in in the facility and the business. And uh, I, I I think our customers got more successful. They were more impressed with a better facility. And with the facilities are very practical, and they have some nicer touches to them as far as the looks and things. Okay. And then beyond just adding the second store and, you know, the facility upgrades and things like that, how has the, how has the business grown and changed over the last, you know, 35, uh, 40 years you've been in business? The year we bought the store, they did $3.2 million for the sales. And in the worst year, in um, probably 86, I think we were we dropped down to $2.4 million of the sales. Our rolling 12 months this year are about $140 million with the two stores. So you've grown just a little bit. Yeah, we've grown a little <laughs> bit, yes. Our, our, our sales are probably up about uh, twice what they were five years ago. That's pretty impressive in a, in a downturn. Is. Yes. When, and when you don't increase the... Um, we are pushing our aftermarketing a lot harder, okay. and we're getting more parts and service. And when you get when you get the customers' parts and service business, it's easier to make the whole goods sales. It's okay. more work, and there's, there's not as much glory in the, the parts and service, but it's the fundamental uh, safety. Right, right. It's it's a necessary part of the business to keep keep things moving. And that's where the most of the profit is also. We'll get back to the Hiawatha Implement story in a minute, but first I wanted to say thanks to HBS Systems, the sponsor of this series. To learn more about HBS's equipment dealership management systems, visit www.hbssystems.com. After that, head over to farm-equipment.com for the latest industry news. Now back to the story of Hiawatha Implement and Larry sharing how flooding in the area in 2019 impacted the staff and customers and some of the keys to the dealership's success over the years. In 2019, so last year, you guys, the dealership and a lot of your customers were impacted by that heavy flooding you guys got in the area. How did um, how did that kind of test the business, and what did you guys do to work through that? It's probably scarier just uh, the reality of looking at how terrible it is. Uh, the floodplains of the Missouri River, uh, they normally raise consistent crops and, until the floods, whereas our other uh, crop areas, they we have more dry weather and, and things like this. So they uh, have marginal yields when the dry weather, but the flooding area gets hit with the floods. And the floods used to come, it seemed like, about every 15, 20 years. But we we had we have had a lot of floods in the Missouri River Valley uh, the last uh, 10 years or so. 
So, but it, what one of the more difficult things was is we have a lot of employees that live on the other side of the river, and in Nebraska, and they had a uh, long drive to work, about a, an hour to two hour drive to work. Oh wow! So, so we had to get them. Uh, we rented them uh, facilities to stay at Mound City, and a lot of employees want our family oriented people and uh, the it, it was very stressful for them mm-hmm. yeah i bet was that so that two hours was that because of to get around the flooding it would take that long or are they normally that they, they, they probably had a 15 20 minute drive to work normally okay but they wow. had to go across, go, go across the river valley so now they had to take uh, the long way through st joe missouri uh, to get around so Okay, yeah, so that's a pretty significant increase in, in commute time yes. from across town to across <laughs> and, and the state. Some of the, <laughs> yes, and some of the employees had their homes flooded, and so they had to stay with family members or other somebody else. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then um, kind of going back to, to your early years again, um, was there any point where, you know, in 86, say, where you, where you did kind of dip to your lowest, where you thought, what the heck was I thinking? Why did uh, I get into this business? <laughs> uh, during the 80s, yes. <laughs> uh, it, it, was, it was very discouraging. And uh, uh, it, it, just watching other dealerships get closed up and things and to see farmers having to sell out. Uh, it, it was very depressing. Um, but I always seemed like I stayed on top of things and looked at the, the bright side of things to be positive. I mean, it is a uh, survival of the fittest that that's basically what happened. I wouldn't want to do it again. Right. <laughs> you would, I think. And then how did you, um, as we got out of that um that downturn, you know, what were kind of your primary focuses then in in the 90s and things like that as the business was building back up and growing? Uh, well, we, when things kind of got going, uh, it, it was so, it was just a relief, and uh, but there was this fear that it would happen again. Mm-hmm. Uh, agriculture has been a very, always has been a very cyclical uh, cycle. I had my five-year class reunion uh, from grad school in uh, 86, and I went down and visited my uh, fellow classmates, and all of them had good jobs, and they were moving up the corporate ladder and everything, and I kind of made the decision uh, that that I was going to find a job and quit, and... uh, uh, I started doing getting a resume ready, and I was trying to think about how to do this and not uh, get the word out that I was quitting and going mm-hmm. to close the door up. So one night I go home, and here's a book in my mailbox, and it's from John Deere and Company, and it was the first 150 years of John Deere. And it was as much a history of agriculture as it was in uh uh, uh, the John Deere business, mm-hmm. and you talk about this upturn, this downturn, and this depression, and this upturn, 
and I was about a third way through the book, the realization was that this wasn't the first downtime, and it wasn't going to be the last. But if it wasn't for that book, I don't think I, I probably would have would have would have uh, quit. I think. Yeah, just thrown in the towel and said. Yeah. Snap so I, I I still have that book in my I've saved that book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a. I guess at that point, who would have known that you you know, it would have improved and then you know grown so significantly. Do you think? Um, the dealership will continue to to grow and you know add on more stores, or you know for the time being is to where you're going to stay. My partner Alfred was a very conservative man, and he and he had a we had trouble growing. He he didn't want to grow. Okay. And in '96, uh, our uh, auditor told us that we needed we had a choice. We we needed to uh, do something with our the capital we were building up, and I told him that we we could uh, buy another store, which is what I wanted to do, and he didn't want to buy another store, and uh, I told him I said, well, we can give out money, to, that stockholders can take dividends, and and he shrugged his shoulders and he said, I don't know what I'd do with any more money, <laughs> <laughs> and he was a very conservative man, and if you knew him. Uh, it it uh, kind of made sense, but anyway, so that's why we bought the store. But he didn't want to buy any any and do any more expanding. Um, we had a buy sell, and he died like four years ago. And then I used my money to buy out his stock, and I had to pay off his his trust and uh, things. So. Okay. Um, if there is an expansion, it's kind of held back by lack of capital today because the business is so much more capital intense mm-hmm. than what it was when I started. Right, right. To to build a new store or acquire another store twenty years ago was quite different than today. quite different than today. Yes. Okay. Um, and then any other um, kind of anecdotes from those earlier earlier years or any or even you know the nineties or early two thousands that have kind of shaped what the business has become I'd like to give my employees probably the most credit, but then they also had leadership, and I never wanted to ask employees more than what I would do myself so uh, I would always come in on Sundays and sell parts and things. But what's what's funny is even though my intentions are still there, I, I with today's technology, I cannot even come in and get customers' parts if they do call me because <laughs> I can't find them. <laughs> yeah. And uh, employees have have grown so much. And uh, are are part of the business. Their hearts are 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 with our customers and taking care of uh, of our employees. They they take a lot of pride in taking care of them, and it's important that uh, management pats them on the back and gives them the credit and the compliments. Uh, too much today's thoughts are on. Uh, Financial rewards, uh, monetary rewards. When when people 
need a pat on the back. It does them as much good as anything. And I always work on that scenario. So that's probably my biggest um, key to success, I think. Okay. And then, um, so expanding in numbers of stores might not be on the immediate horizon, but what what's sort of your focus for the next, you know, five or ten years of of the business? What I'm, I'm 68 years old now, and I, I maybe in ten years I don't wouldn't want to run for president, but <laughs> I, uh, I I hope to still be here. Uh, work isn't as hard. I have good employees that that take a, make a lot of the decisions and things, and I'm more of just the leadership role today. And it's it's not as stressful as what it was back when I started. So things are going very well for the business. And the important thing is is, is my health, and uh, as long as it's there, you know, we'll, we're going to keep going ahead. Okay. All right. Those were the only questions I had for you. Any Anything else you wanted to add? As far as like somebody thinking about starting up where I did, it will be very difficult today because we're so much more capital intense business. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when I started out, I had $50,000 is what got my, my investment. And that wasn't very much money, but you look at all the uh, college student loans that can't people students can't pay off their loans to have fifty thousand dollars and go and get out getting out of college was quite an achievement yeah and <laughs> but college didn't cost as much back then either right, though. but that's how much how much loan people are paying back if not yes. more <laughs> today yes so. i think uh, yeah I, I had a uh hay grinding business so on weekends and at nights I would grind hay uh for cattle feeders and uh it uh g- g- gave me a source of uh, income through college okay so you had that you were earning money throughout college yeah right? not just yes. college uh-huh. either, but you had something to build up and save that's, that's great set you up for a lot of success down the road it sounds like well, I mean, things went very well, but a lot of being at the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And as the old story goes, uh, opportunity may knock on the door, but you have to open it. Thanks so much to Larry for taking the time to sit down and share his story with us. And another thanks to HBS Systems for making this podcast possible. I'd love to get your feedback on the series, so drop me a line at kschmidt at lessetermedia.com. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. This will ensure you're alerted as soon as new episodes are made. Thanks for joining us for this one-on-one conversation with Larry Rader. Until next time, I'm Kim Schmidt, signing out of the Our Dealer Story Podcast.